It's that time of year, and whether you're managing new personal goals for yourself, and maybe you call them New Year's resolutions, or are setting new objectives at work through a development plan, it's likely that you're putting some thought into how you can improve yourself or change something in the coming year. This is the conclusion of our three-part series on the development, feedback, and evaluation cycle, and I'll share some pointers I've picked up through my experience to build an effective development plan to help keep you on track to keep productive momentum and achieve your goals. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Progress Over Perfection Coaching Podcast with me, Patrick Dedrick, where we talk about career management and development by offering insight on how to build an intentionally balanced and purpose-filled career. Like I mentioned, we've been building up to this for the last couple of episodes, and we're going to spend some time talking about development plans and the different shapes that they can take. Ultimately, a development plan is just that, a prescribed and thought-out approach to progress to a different level. The great thing about them is that they can be used for just about anything. So when we talk about a New Year's resolution or other kind of goal, you can think of the actual resolution or goal as a desired end state, and the development plan as the instructions or map that you can use to make sure that you get to that destination. In fact, I'd argue that the reason that the second Friday of each new year is called Quitter's Day, which is an actual thing identified by the fitness app Strava, where there's a measured sharp decline every year in logged fitness activity through their platform, which they've correlated to an abandonment of new fitness goals, is actually because people mean well through wanting to improve themselves, but often lack the framework to take them from where they are to where they want to go. I'll go over some tips that I've come across to put to use to try and keep myself accountable to the goals that I set for myself. And while there are definitely different kinds of goals that you can set, be they personal or professional, and in the context of your job, I found that the same mechanics can be applied to achieve more consistent results regardless of the circumstances. So while most of this content will focus on development plans in a uh, professional context at an organization, keep in mind that you can most definitely apply these to the same concepts to any development plan that you might have. Now, development plans can take on any number of different shapes and sizes. They can range from entirely self-managed plans where you only answer to yourself. Maybe you're a solopreneur or just looking to create a plan for a personal goal like a New Year's resolution. To corporate mandated formal plans that document what you're going to do by when and the details about the results you expect to achieve. Development plans then become entirely bespoke to the individual based on the amount of rigor and energy that they invest in them. So depending on your exposure to corporate cultures and what those cultures look like, you may have very real and potentially less than positive experiences with development plans. At best, it's possible that you think of development plans as a way to frame up your intentionality about how you're going to focus your efforts in the coming year to grow into your current role or even set yourself up for your next opportunity internal to the organization that you work at. In these more formal settings, this typically amounts to a combination of the kind of business objectives that I touched on a couple episodes ago when talking about year-end evaluations, and development plans that focus on specific competencies or goals that should help facilitate your growth and potential contribution to your organization. Now, as a refresher, those business objectives that I talked about are typically cascaded down from the highest point of an organizational strategy, and at each level of the hierarchy that they do cascade down, become more specific and actionable. 
To recap that previous example I mentioned, that could look like a top-level organizational goal of increasing market share by 5% that could then trickle down to an actionable objective for an assembly line operator to creating a standard procedure for their station that they then revisit quarterly for continuous improvement assessments and refresher trainings. Now in that case, the objective is reinforced by a very tangible and measurable objective, and the intent is that through clarifying this level of detail in the development plan, you're actually creating a clear path that should contribute to the overarching goal. Now like I mentioned, there is kind of a dark side or a downside to development plans. So at worst, development plans can kind of be a check-the-box activity, where you do it only because you have to. So you hastily fill out a form with some generic objectives that look good on paper but may not align to what you actually want to do or go into the kind of actionable detail that help you to progress in your role or in your career. Then you forget about them for about 11 months until the end of the year where you rack your brain for examples of how you met those generic goals so it looks good for a year in review. In my experience, at least for these business objectives that are always almost always cascaded from the top down, there's usually very little input for the individual to provide. So to apply that to the potential worst case scenario that I just talked about, it's important to discuss with your manager or leadership team the objectives that are set and clarify exactly what's being requested of you. Now, you may not be able to change what those objectives are, but you can definitely clarify what success looks like. And if it doesn't get clarified at a higher level, at the very least, you can create some clarity for yourself and your individual goals for what success can look like. Moreover, to touch on another point from our episode on evaluations, it might also be good to have a conversation with your manager when setting goals about what a stretch might look like. So understanding stretch targets early on in the process is a good way to remove some ambiguity when it comes time for ratings. So for example, most of the time the understanding is that if you achieve the target in your objective, then you meet expectations. After all, you're accomplishing what's expected of you. But what if you do more? Does that exceed expectations? By how much do you need to do a stretch in order to be considered uh, that you've exceeded your expectations and maybe get a higher rating? Here's where the stretch targets can come in handy and how understanding those up front can help you to calibrate where you want to focus your efforts throughout the year if you're trying to achieve a higher rating. So to use the previous example of the operator that had a target of creating a standard process for their area that was reviewed quarterly. That quarterly review was the target of the objective and doing that would likely have meant that they met expectations. However, there might be a stretch target to cross-train on another station and conduct a similar quarterly review of the process. I say that this might be a stretch target that could qualify as being considered exceeding expectations, so objectively, this would certainly go beyond what was called out in the objective. But in my experience, this kind of assumption without confirmation or communication has led to a number of misunderstandings misunderstandings and awkward reviews. So it's always best to clearly understand targets, stretches, and what constitutes exceeding expectations. So all that to say, a rating might not be worth chasing in and of itself. Obviously, if there are financial incentives tied to your rating, like a higher bonus multiplier or increased potential for a raise, or if your rating may qualify you for different kinds of development or opportunity considerations in the future, then it may be a reason to focus on achieving a particular rating. But as I said before, how important ratings are is really a very personal thing, and there really isn't one right way to think about them. The only thing that I will stress is that the more transparent conversation you can have with your manager about your intentions and expectations and how they go about the process, the better prepared you'll be when it comes down to your evaluation. All right, so now back to development plans. So 
now that we're through what I'd consider to be the least interesting part of a development plan with business objectives. No, I don't mean to say that they aren't important. After all, if you're working for an organization, you should absolutely be working towards the broader objectives of the company that's paying your paycheck. I say that it's the least interesting part of your development plan because it's cascaded to you. And for the most part, you don't get to say too much about what they are. So in my mind, the much more interesting part of a development plan are the actual development objectives. These are the things that you set for yourself that you want to accomplish because they're important to you and where you want your career to go. Now, depending on the company that you work for, there may be a framework or other structure within which you can look to set your development plan. This is usually a construct like common language around competencies or other skills that are used throughout the organization, and they probably show up in job descriptions. So in this case, you can typically choose some of those competencies. Odds are, if your company does have a list of competencies to choose from, then they're probably pretty similar to a fairly standard list of core competencies like problem solving or communication. So if you don't have a list like that to work off of at your company, you can always do a quick Google search or scan through some job descriptions that you may have interest in to see some of the skills that you may want to focus on improving over the course of the year. Either way, it might be tempting to choose a large number of things that you want to focus on developing. And here's where I'd suggest some restraint and that you only choose a couple of skills or competencies to focus on. And here I very literally mean a couple, two, maybe three at the most. The reason for this is that if you're truly building a robust development plan, then you won't have the bandwidth to actually devote time and attention to actually meaningfully develop more than a couple of areas on top of trying to make sure that you're progressing against your business objectives. So now that you know how many areas you want to focus on for your development in the coming year, you should identify exactly which competencies you want to develop. This can come down to what you want to accomplish through your development. So through the lens of your development at an organization or a company that you work for, this usually comes down to either deepening your expertise or effectiveness in your current role or broadening your experiences to position yourself for your next best move. If you're looking to broaden your expertise to move to a new role, then it's a good idea to get a feel for the kinds of experiences or skills that are valued or critical in that role or function that you're looking at. It's then a good idea to focus your development to either close those gaps that you may have or reinforce areas that you feel would make you a strong candidate. Now, depending on the culture of the company that you work for, there may be a pretty open approach to development, and you might be able to solicit feedback on which areas you should focus on. This could be from your current manager, maybe the manager of the team that you're looking to work towards, or even a mentor or sponsor that might have insight into the development path that you're looking to take. Ultimately, the areas that you focus on developing should not only be targeted at some kind of achievement, but they should also be important and meaningful to you, beyond just progression towards a role. While that may be very important, the fact is that once you identify these areas of development, they'll be something that you work on for a year. So you should make sure that they're important and interesting to you to actually make you want to continue to work towards them. So after all, there are plenty of things that any of us can work on to improve. So we might as well focus on the things that we think we're going to enjoy focusing on. So the one caution I'd offer here is that you may get advice on which competencies or skills to focus on for your development from others. And I'm sure that advice is well-intentioned. However, you are ultimately the one that needs to evaluate if the advice would serve you and your overall aspirations. So as an example, off of some feedback from a year-end evaluation 
that a manager suggested to me fairly directly was that I focus on the competency of being a more firm and direct individual and that I have a more commanding presence with others. So we actually had a competency around this and he strongly suggested that I put that on my development plan the following year. Now, this was not a competency that I was particularly interested in developing. For starters, if I were to look at my Clifton Strengths assessment, the command strength that most closely aligns with this competency and application is actually dead last on my profile, ranked 34 out of 34. So while strengths are by no means a determinant of capability, I'm a pretty strong believer that they're a good gauge for yielding results most effectively through energy expenditure. So that is to say, I could probably improve in this area, but because of how dramatically uninclined I am disposed towards it, I would likely take an incredible amount of energy and focus and yield marginal results compared to if I'd put that same amount of energy towards something that I'm more naturally strong in. That's not to say that I was not going to focus on influencing others or look to increase my capability in leadership presence, but I was not going to achieve it through that particular competency. I really should have been more forward with my manager about this because I'm pretty sure he got annoyed by me uh, by the time he suggested this for the third year in a row during my evaluations as I continuously looked for other competencies to focus on. Lesson learned for the future, though. So when it comes to actually structuring your plan, there really is no one right way. Let me take that back. If you work somewhere that does have a prescribed way that you should write your development plan, then there actually is one right way. But if you're just writing one for yourself or there's a more laissez-faire approach to development plans where you work, then I'd like to offer a couple of different tips you could use for structuring your plan. Now, these can all either be used in conjunction with one another or in a more a la carte fashion. It really depends on what works best for you. So in terms of framing your development objectives, one really effective format is the from to structure. Essentially, what's your current state and where do you want to be at the end of the year once you have quote unquote developed? This can feel a little awkward and it's easy to fall into the trap saying something like, I want to progress from being an employee that's unskilled in problem solving to being an employee that is an adept problem solver. This really doesn't do much to tell others what you intend to do or set you up for making meaningful progress but you could actually reframe this to be something more effective like, I want to progress from being an employee that doesn't take the time to thoughtfully assess the root cause of problems and that rushes to conclusions to being an employee that utilizes established Lean Six Sigma tools to identify root causes and instate effective countermeasures and process improvements. Now, this is much more robust and actually provides a a large number of different areas that you can be very specific about how you want to look at your development over the year. And this plays into the foundation for the next tool I'd like to suggest, which is the 70-20-10. Now, the 70-20-10 framework basically breaks up how you should look to allocate the time and energy you spend on different facets of your development towards an objective. So in all cases I've seen, it states that 70% of your time towards development should be focused on applying what you learn on the job. These could be ways that you take your day-to-day and put it to use to crystallize the learnings towards what you're trying to develop and increase your proficiency. That may make sense too. One of the most effective ways to learn and develop is by doing. Next, it states that 20% of your time should come from learning from others. Whether it's a more proficient peer or mentor, these are people that you can look to that can help show you how to develop. 
This might look like setting up formal mentor meetings to discuss the area that you're trying to develop, or maybe shadowing someone on a project that requires heavy use of a skill that you're looking to gain experience with. This does mean that you'll need to be open about why you are wanting to set up time with those people. So that's also where having a very clear from to or other similar rationale for your development ready to talk about in a clear and concise package. So finally, the 10% of your development that's left, according to this model, should come from formal learning. And I've seen this include things like continuing education through either a formal class or certification, maybe reading a book or books related to the topic that you're trying to improve on, or even engaging with content online that's related. So while this is only 10% of your development, I've also seen others struggle the most with this in putting meaningful thought behind it. Most commonly, I've seen something like, I'm going to watch a TED Talk related to XYZ. Or I'll take two LinkedIn learning courses tied to this topic. So while those are not bad things to do, and odds are you could probably knock both of those out in a matter of a couple of hours, it really doesn't quite go far enough. So in the grand scheme of things, an entire year's worth of development, that hardly seems like you're doing yourself any favors or putting to use the full potential of the 70-20-10 model. I might be a little biased, again, leaning into my Clifton Strengths assessment where learner is one of my top strengths, and I do love to learn new things. Remember my episode on third-party certifications? But in all objective senses, if you were to actually break down a normal work year into hours, and then assume that you're working on two development areas, and then divide that time into the 70-20-10 structure, that would suggest that you should be spending around one to two hours per week almost through some kind of formal learning to truly develop. Now, for some individuals, and let's be honest, most organizations most likely, that may be a little more time than seems practical. But there has to be some middle ground between that higher-end allocation of time to a total of two hours per year. Either way, I offer that up as a way to gauge what might be a good fit for you. So next up is one of my personal favorites that I'm sure some of you are either tired of hearing about or could probably describe it as well as I can if you're a longtime listener, and that's the 64 window chart. My favorite part of this, or this is my favorite part of the Harada method. I've talked about it in numerous episodes, including most recently in the episode on year-end evaluations. So I won't go into a full rehash here, but essentially it allows you to take one larger objective and progressively decompose it into 64 unique actions that can help to turn some help turn something that might otherwise seem overwhelming into 64 manageable tasks. So like I said, I won't go into more detail here for the sake of not repeating myself for the fourth or fifth time, but if you do want more detail, you can go check out uh, a couple of episodes that I'll link in the show notes and it'll walk you through how to actually build your own 64 window chart. So finally, there's the tried and true checklist. Whether this is done uh, at a daily, weekly, or monthly level, or maybe some other cadence, a checklist can gauge how well you're able to adhere to the goals that you set for yourself. The idea being that if you're pairing a checklist with one of the other tools that I just described, then you're actually creating a kind of accountability check-in to see if you're following through with what you set out to accomplish. This could be as low-tech as a sticky note or whiteboard tally, or you can maybe get fancy with a complicated Excel sheet with conditional formatting and calculated compliance percentages to get a feel for just how good a job you're doing in working towards your goals. And I'd actually be lying if I said that I hadn't created a spreadsheet like this to track my goals for the year at a daily level, but in my defense, the winter weather during the first couple of weeks of January have been pretty inhibiting in terms of what I can do outside. 
So a checklist may be useful in the moment as you're working throughout the year. I've actually found that they really come in handy at the end of the year as a way to put some kind of quantifiable number on what you've accomplished. It's kind of a way to show just how much you did when you did it, and then also highlight where you can potentially further improve in the future. So like most of the activities I talk about in these podcasts, they can take some time to actually flesh out when you put pen to paper. It's likely not something that you're going to complete while following along listening to a 30-minute podcast episode. You should probably consider setting aside some devoted time to writing your development plan. Now, when I'm sitting out to make a significant dent in a project or get some work done, whether I'm at work or trying to meet a deadline or at home working on a passion project like this podcast, I find that I can tend to have a hard time to shift into a productive mindset immediately. Maybe it's because I'm bouncing between meetings and can't get a block of time to focus, or maybe because I'm having to shift between cleaning up dinner dishes and getting kids to bed. Regardless, it's not easy to focus on command. One thing that I have found that helps, though, is Brain.fm. Brain.fm is a music-based platform that is designed and scientifically tested to elicit neural phase locking. Sounds super complicated, but ultimately amounts to focusing neurons in your brain to work together to enable coordinated activities. The research-backed and tested music is custom-designed to get your brain to shift into different modes, not just for focus or work, but there are also songs specifically designed to help your brain shift into relaxing and meditating, or even getting ready for sleep. There are also a number of different genres of music for each of these modes, each with varying levels of neural effect, so you can tailor your experience to exactly what you're trying to achieve. Now, I've tried other similar music-based platforms that are advertised to promote focus and productivity, but for me, I haven't seen nearly the same level of results as I have with Brain.fm. And I've been using Brain.fm for nearly seven years, and it's my go-to for when I need to get something done and I need laser focus. All it takes is 15 minutes of listening to kickstart the neural entrainment process and get you going. Now, I'm happy to say that I've partnered with Brain.fm, and if you use my coupon code PRGSCOACH when you sign up, you'll get 20% off your subscription. So if you're ready to make the most of your work time, I can't recommend Brain.fm more highly. To learn more, check them out at Brain.fm, or feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions, and I'd be happy to tell you about my experiences with the platform. Alright, so this all sounds well and good, but ultimately, this is another goal, and like we talked about with all the well-intentioned New Year's resolutions, you might be asking yourself how you can prevent your development plan from falling by the wayside. Well, like I just touched on, a checklist can be a really effective way to keep some real-time accountability in place. If this is a goal that you're keeping track of in your personal life, then I highly encourage you to find an accountability buddy, someone that you can keep help keep you on track. This could be your significant other, maybe a friend or family, maybe even your kids. All you have to do is share your goal with them, explain why it's important to you, and ask that they help keep some pressure on you to stay on track. Oftentimes, just knowing that someone else is watching you and your progress is enough to nudge you back on track when you might otherwise falter. In a work environment, this buddy can actually be your manager. If you have regular one-on-ones with your manager, you might ask to designate some of those meetings to be check-ins for your development. For example, maybe you meet with them weekly, and then you can ask for the last one-on-one of each month to be focused on recapping your development plan. Now, if you don't have regular one-on-ones with your manager, that's, in my opinion, an entirely different issue, but you could always ask to set up time with them to go over your development plan, or you might even look for someone else in your organization that can act as a source of accountability, like a mentor. 
So finally, as you're keeping regular tabs on your progress throughout the year, you should also pay attention to whether or not your plan still feels like it's a fit for what you're trying to accomplish. Obviously, you can't change business objectives, but where you've set aside personal development goals, you should feel empowered to check and adjust as you see fit. Maybe you're focusing on one competency in order to get a new role, and now you've gotten that role. So perhaps you need to shift that attention to a new skill or experience for your development. In my experience, this isn't seen as a bad thing, but it's actually an acknowledgement that things can change over the course of a year, and that you're also recognizing that and attempting to make sure that you're making the most of your time and energy. Well, that about does it for our three-part series on the development, feedback, and evaluation cycle. While I mentioned part one of this series, we were kind of going about this whole cycle a bit backwards, but hopefully now it makes a little more sense for that order, with us being able to finish with creating a development plan at what should be a pretty appropriate time of year. So hopefully you've been able to pick out one or two things that you can put to use in your own development plan, or can maybe add to an existing development plan that you already have for yourself. Now, if you have any other development plan pointers you'd like to add, or any questions or comments about this episode, I'd love to hear from you, and you can send me a note at patrick at prgscoach.com. And with that, I'll sign off with a certain type of perfection can only be realized through a limitless accumulation of the imperfect. Thanks again for listening in, and we'll talk more in our next episode.